Every election year, we are inundated with mudslinging, accusations, promises, hopes, and fears. Civility seems to go out the window as our minds are swayed towards a specific political platform and we choose who will lead our country. Jesus didn't have a political platform. He had an eternal platform. He wasn't trying to build a government. He was building his kingdom. So what if we could do this year differently? What if we could act differently and become an inspiration instead of just another voice in the angry crowd? What if we could join Jesus in his mission and call people into a better way? Standing behind this piece of furniture on this platform makes me feel like I'm preparing for a political debate, and that's the point. I have an infallible prophetic word that I'd like to share with the body of Christ today that I have absolute confidence in. Between now and November 3rd, this country's going to lose its mind. Broken, fallible human beings are going to beg you to join them on their platform. Your mailboxes, your news feeds, your television, your podcast streams are going to be clogged with people vying for your attention and your devotion and your commitment. Ultimately, they want your vote. Tensions are going to begin to rise as people begin to polarize into camp. People are going to quickly begin to type in all capital letters, and people are going to freak out. Some of us will engage, some will retreat, others will sin, some people will ignore and the vast majority of the population will just pray, God, please make it end. The goal of this series is not to discuss human politics. The goal of this series is to answer the question, how should, how do the followers of Christ get above the noise and the fray and the chaos while still using our influence to bring Jesus into the center of every conversation and every sacred moment that God calls us to? My introduction, introduction to the political landscape of this country came in the fall of 2004 when George W. Bush was running against John Kerry for the president, uh, office of the president of the United States. I was an innocent, naive Canadian minding my own business, preaching from my Bible when my world and the political world of the U.S. collided head on. That fall, I was preaching a series on Jesus, talking about grace, and when I wrapped up my message, I went into the commons, as I normally do, and I had two conversations that both shocked me. A very agitated man walked up to me and said, I want you to know something, Pastor. I will never be back in this church ever again because I can smell John Kerry all over you. <laughs> to which I maturely responded, wow. Um, because smelling like another dude is just weird. That's just, I'm being honest, all right? I did not walk more than 10 linear feet in the same commons after the same message when another agitated man walked up to me and said, this is the last time I will ever be coming to the church because your support of George Bush's policies makes me sick. Again, I said, wow. <laughs> honest confession, I despise election years. I despise them because the truth is I can't win. People are going to read into everything that I say for the next 11 months. They're going to put a political undertone into the message of Jesus, even when it is intentionally not put there. Some of you are like me. You dread the political season. In fact, uh, because we're in that mode, let's do a poll, okay? All right. How many of you dread politics? You don't like the drama or the rhetoric? And, uh, there we go. Awesome. Okay. <laughs> How many of you love politics? The passion and the debate? Some of you? Okay, that's great. Awesome. How many of you squirm when someone brings it up at lunch or worse yet, your family dinner table? Don't like it? How many of you bring it up at your family dinner table on purpose? 
<laughs> Seven brave souls, that's awesome. Here's my point. Everyone has a different opinion about the politics of this world. And some of you are wondering, has Grant lost his ever-loving Canadian mind by bringing this up in church? It's a good question. Stick with me. Everyone has a political opinion. Everyone thinks their opinion's the best opinion. That's where we're always trying to pull people into our camp. Last week, we got questions about politics in every single service. People ask questions like, can you be a true liberal and follow Jesus? People ask questions. Can Republicans and Democrats ever put their differences aside and unite? We got questions in every single service, so we're going to talk about it. <coughs> Recently, I've had conversations with friends from four different political ideologies. The truth is we we're having the conversation because they all wanted me at some level to step into their camp. And I thought it was interesting that every single one of them, as the basis for their argument, used the Bible as a way of, of trying to have that conversation with me. A friend from the Republican side of things said, Grant, like it's just so obvious. Jesus converted a publican tax collector. He republicaned him. And so Jesus is always right. So we should always be to the right. <laughs> Come on, sleep in service. Work with me. All right. A friend from the Democrat side said, Grant, like just do the math. It's so unbelievably obvious. Jesus was all about free health care. He healed everybody. Do the math. Do the math. A friend of mine who's a libertarian quoted a verse, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. He said Jesus was anti-establishment, was for freedom and liberty more than anyone else in the history. Just keep the government's hands off of my stuff. A friend from the Green Party quoted Genesis. God gave dominion to mankind over the earth, and he said, so stewarding the earth is the most important work that we could possibly do. Did you notice I called them all friends? Because they are. This may freak some of you out, but there are people in this room right now, all of whom love Jesus, who fall all over the human political landscape. And I don't want to freak some of you out, but you may be sitting beside one of them right now. <laughs> To freak you out even more, I hate to tell you this, but you might be one of them to somebody else in the room right now. As we enter into the next 11 months, I want to challenge you, not only as your friend, but as your pastor. I want to challenge you to seek God and to handle this next 11 months in a completely different way. Here's my challenge to you. It comes in the form of a question. Can you put your faith above your politics? The challenge is not to put your faith alongside of your politics. That doesn't work for Jesus, okay? Jesus said if you're a follower of him, everything else becomes subservient to your relationship with him. So the challenge is not to put them on an equal footing, but to actually choose the platform of Jesus over top of any other affiliation that you have. The challenge is to look at everything, including your politics, through the lens of a biblical worldview and to see the process and the policies and the people in the process that are making the policies the same way that Jesus sees them, actually as people. If you've got your Bible with you, I want to invite you into a politically charged conversation that happened between Jesus and a group of religiously politically motivated people. The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 22. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees, a religious group, and Herodians, a political group, 
to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others. I love that. Because <laughs> you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose image is this? Whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. And Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's? To God's what is God's? And they were amazed at him. Don't miss the point. Okay? Take this passage at face value. No pun intended. Some people mistakenly, they take this passage and they turn it into a commerce equation. They're just like, I get it. Give the government their part. Give God his part. Keep the two separate. Here's the problem with that. God never says anything should be separated. As a follower of Jesus, you don't have a social life, a political life, a commercial life, a business life, a married life. You don't have any of that at all. You have one life and that's a spiritual life. That's the way the kingdom operates. Okay? Some people make this account about the word trap, and it's just like, you know, look at the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. They get all wrapped up in it. This is the simple point. It comes in the form of a question. Jesus is asking all of us to consider this, especially in the next 11 months. Whose image do you bear? In a tense political season filled with questions and judgments, whose image will you bear? In a season where you may be tempted to, to abdicate because you just don't think you've got a viable option, whose image do you bear? As you sit behind your computer and people besiege you with all kinds of appeals to go this way and that way, and you are just so tempted to just unleash yourself on them, whose image do you bear? In a landscape where the rhetoric is high and the tendency to become a critic is even higher, whose image will I bear? Let's get practical. If you were to accept the challenge and put your faith over your politics, what would that look like? What decisions would you have to make? Let's press in together. When I put my faith above my politics, I acknowledge that God is in control. This has been my experience. People seem to lose their belief in the sovereignty of God every four years. Can I be so bold as to say this? No matter who ends up living at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue in the White House on November the 4th, no matter who it is that actually gets voted into living at that particular residence, God, the King of the universe, will still be residing and presiding in heaven. He's got everything under control. Don't freak out. Amen. God's in charge. He can use anyone and anything to accomplish his perfect will. The Apostle Paul wrote these words, and, and they get a little troubling for people. We're going to press into them. Romans 13, Paul said, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities. There's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. And some people start freaking out and going, you mean, you're saying God's on this, on that, and he does this, we're going to actually go there together. Some people will, will read those verses and go, well, that's easy for Paul to say. His government wasn't nearly as corrupt as the one we're under. Are you sure? 
Paul was writing this under the oppression of the Roman Empire. The guy in charge was a guy named Nero. Wow. I'm going to remind you again. God uses broken human beings and human systems to push people back towards him. And as someone who has traveled the world and had the privilege of traveling the world, I can say this. I would choose to live under our broken system under any other than I have encountered anywhere else around the world. God's asking us, will you trust me? Will you live that out by not worrying and not freaking out and not getting caught up in the chaos? Will you trust me? Secondly, when I put my faith above my politics, I refuse to relinquish influence or relationship for the sake of being right. I'm going to use this story again with permission. I spoke to a friend and the subject of politics came up. He told me his neighbor and him have not spoken since the year 2000. The reason they have not spoken since 2000 is because they had two conflicting lawn signs. Do you understand what I'm talking about? They had two lawn signs with different names and they haven't spoken. So I asked them the question. I don't even remember 2000. Who was running? He couldn't remember. He couldn't remember. So I'm like, um, wow. Uh, so you and your neighbor have been divided for almost two decades over an issue and you can't even remember the topic or the people? I told him, you need to go to your neighbor and repent. And he responded the way we normally would. I, I would do that if he would just... As a follower of Jesus, when it comes to reconciliation, we always go first because while we were yet sinners, Jesus went first. That's the example. When we get so stuck in being right in our own mind, when we choose being right over relationship, you're wrong. I thought someone would say amen, but okay, all right. <laughs> What does the Bible say? First Peter chapter two. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And we read those verses and we go, that's really, really good Bible. Do you know what verse comes next? Submit yourself for the Lord's sake. To every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. When you're absolutely convinced that you are right and everybody else is wrong, whose image do you bear? If being right is more important to you than people, you're wrong. Jesus had something to say about those things too. Remember the conflict between the two neighbors? I quoted something to him, uh, Matthew 22. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Don't you wish Jesus had said, love your neighbor only as much as he loves you? <laughs> Don't you wish he said that? I mean, don't you wish Jesus said, love your neighbor as much as he deserves to be loved when he puts that sign up on his lawn? 
Don't you wish Jesus made it easier for us? But instead, he says, love your neighbor as yourself. I have a question for you. Do you respect yourself? Do you give yourself grace when you get it wrong? Do you assume the best of you? In God's kingdom, being loving is more important than being right. That's the platform of Jesus. The Bible says the world will know that we are followers of Jesus, not by our correct political opinions, but by our love for one another. Let's keep going. When I put my faith above my politics, I follow the wisdom of godly interactions. Okay? Just so we're abundantly clear, Jesus is not going to revoke the nice rule because it's an election year, okay? It's not all bets are off from now until November. That's not how it works. So the next time you're tempted to get on your computer or to unleash on somebody in, in a coffee shop as a follower of Jesus, I'm just going to read you some really good Bible, Ephesians 4.29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their need so that it may benefit those who are listening. Colossians 4.6, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Matthew 5.37, all you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Wow. Colossians 3, but now you must also rid yourselves of all things such as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Here's a couple bonuses from the book of Proverbs. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Here's another one. Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a word aptly or rightly spoken in such circumstances. My brothers and sisters, do not let this political season become a seedbed for your anger and therefore sin. If your passion for politics is not eclipsed by your passion for Jesus, we're going to get this all wrong. Let's keep going. When I put my faith above my politics, I choose to be a learner and not a critic. Being a critic, easy. It's simple. I mean, you just sit behind your keyboard and cut and paste your opinion. It's simple. It's harder to have an intelligent conversation with somebody who, who, who has a different spin on your tough topic. It's hard to push away apathy and actually engage with people. It's easier to become a part of the problem than it is to become a part of the solution. It's easier to be arrogant and just think, I am absolutely right, than it is to be humble. And yet the Bible keeps saying these words. Proverbs 1.5, let the wise listen. And add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance. He's not talking to them. He's talking to all of us saying, I don't care how smart you are. You still need to learn how to listen and learn. I think this is a great time for us to practice listening and learning principles. You don't have to agree, but you still need to listen and learn. I love using four questions when I encounter people who don't share the same viewpoints that I may have. Question number one, how did you get to your position? Like what influenced you to get there? Because I've learned something. I have a really hard time disliking someone once I've learned their story. I think we all just need to learn each other's stories. Second question, have you always seen it that way? I mean, is this a work in progress? Are you still figuring this out? If you are, could I just share how I've arrived where I have on my journey? 
I think that's a great question. The third one, let me put a little frame around it. I use this next one with Christians a lot because as believers, the reality is we do a really good job of dancing right up against the line of slander, which is a sin. We gossip openly about public figures because we think they're fair game. Just so we know what gossip is. Gossip is when I speak about another human being and have an offense against them without them being directly involved in the conversation. So whenever a a public figure comes up and people start railing against them, this is the question I ask. Oh, so you know them. (laughs) And the response is usually, well, no, but, which is code for I'm sinning. (laughs) (laughs) I want to remind you of something as we enter November. Public figures, no matter how much you may disagree with them, are still people that Jesus loved enough to die for. And no matter how much you may disagree, between now and November 3rd, Jesus is not putting a statue of limitations on gossip or slander. If you claim to follow Jesus for the love of God, talk like it. Here's another question. Hey, where'd you get that from? I know this is crazy, but Google is not God. (laughs) Some people are like, what just happened, right? It's true which ties into the next commitment. When I put my faith above my politics, I commit to knowing God's platform more than man's platform. I can Google the political platform of any party in this country. I can inform myself of their position. I have a question. Before you go and do that, do you know God's position? Or do you just make assumptions? Somebody else told me, so therefore, that must be the truth. Have you ever taken the time to explore and know where God is actually coming from, where he positions his heart and his platform on really tough issues? Do you know firsthand from God's heart to your ears where God actually stands? Have you searched the whole counsel of God personally and wrestled with these tough issues? Or are you just parroting somebody else's opinion? Because after all, they must be right. Whenever I think I've pretty much got God figured out, I remind myself of these words from Isaiah 55. God saying, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways. My ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. It means this, no matter how much I think I've got it figured out, God sees it different, God knows it different, and God loves it different. So before you start checking boxes and holding signs, I implore you to open the word of God and say, Jesus, show me where you stand. For the record, I'm never going to tell you who to vote for. You need to do that on your own. Do I take my, my opportunity to vote very seriously? I do. My wife, Laurel, and I waited for 10 years to become citizens of this country. I had to take a test and pass it. I gave that test to a group of people, Christ the King, and they failed miserably. And they were all born here. I take very seriously checking those boxes. I pray diligently saying, God, give me wisdom. Timothy Keller, one of my favorite pastors, eloquently said this. He said, during the political season, people of faith have a conundrum. He goes, here's the conundrum of Jesus. In terms of justice, Jesus is more conservative than the greatest conservative. And as a sinner saved by grace, I'm thankful for that. 
He goes on and says, and in terms of grace, Jesus is more liberal than the greatest liberal. And as a sinner saved by grace, I'm so thankful for that. Last one, let's wrap this up. When I put my faith above my politics, I choose to trust a higher authority. God spoke to a king who on God's behalf spoke to a group of people who were in the midst of political turmoil. These are the words of God through a king. He said this, don't put your trust in princes, Psalm 146. Don't put your trust in princes and human beings who can't save. When their spirit departs, they return to the ground. On that very day, their plans come to nothing. Blessed are those whose help is the God of Jacob whose hope is in the Lord their God. He is the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful until November the 2nd. Is that what your Bible says? <laughs> he remains faithful forever on the 3rd and the 4th and the 5th and through 2021 and, and God willing through 2022. I'm almost out of time. Let me just wrap this installment up. Should you have a political opinion? I believe you should. Should you be involved in the process? I believe that you should. I think your voice matters. It really does. Here's the reason that I believe you should be involved in the process. Because as citizens of a greater kingdom, I can't find anywhere in Scripture where Jesus promoted either abdication or apathy. Apathy is when I just don't care, so I don't do anything. Abdication is when I choose to do nothing on purpose. I can't find that anywhere in the Bible when Jesus is talking to his kids. I think you should be involved. While you're involved, should you sacrifice influence or relationship for the sake of your opinion? Absolutely not. And just so we're clear how we're going to navigate this together, the leadership of Christ the King puts certain executive limitations on this little eight-by-eight eight platform. One of the executive limitations that I love and hold on to during seasons like this is the limitation that says no one, including our teaching pastor, can ever politicize this platform. And the reason we will not politicize this platform is because of the, of the name on the front of our church. You crossed underneath of it. That's the banner that we work under. It's the banner of Christ the King, Lord, Savior, Regent, Justice, Help. Another reason why that executive limitation exists is because the unity of this body is more important than your political opinion. Jesus prayed for that. So to everyone in the room, I don't care what banner you place yourself under, this was the prayer of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Think about it for just a second, okay? Jesus had a little church, 13 members. In its membership were some blue-collar fishermen, one with a penchant for talking way too much, <laughs> a reformed tax collector, a doctor, a political zealot who liked sticking Romans with a pocket knife, a skeptic, an evangelist, and a group of others that we don't really know that much about. 
Various people from various backgrounds and various political ideologies. Think about it. The fishermen would have hated the tax collector with a passion. Why? Because he taxed his fish. The tax collector would have hated the, the zealot because the zealot represented, well, because the zealot, or, or the, the tax collector represented Rome and, and the zealot was actually representing the Jewish nation. And the zealot, he just kind of hated everybody because nobody understood the cause that he was working on more than he did. People from all over the map. But what caused them to move towards each other? What caused them to take on the mission of God? One central figure who stood in the center of all of them and said, I don't care what your ideologies are. If you want to stand with me, you stand alongside of the Son of God, the Messiah. And my platform is not an earthly political platform. It's the kingdom of God. That's what we're actually working on. If we don't keep Jesus in the center of this, we're lost. Church, love one another. I'll go first. As I walk through this series next couple of weeks, I will make a commitment to you that I will not stand on any other platform other than the platform of the kingdom of God. I will preach nothing but Jesus and him crucified, entombed, and raised again to life on the third day. That's the only story that's going to make any difference in the midst of all of this chaos. And I do not invite you to stand with me on this platform. I invite you to stand with him. If we choose that, we may actually have an opportunity to be salt and light while the rest of the world gets caught up in chaos and mayhem. Welcome to the platform of Jesus. That's what we're going to work on. Would you pray with me as we close? God, earlier today, we shook hands with each other. And I pray the unity and the love that flowed in that moment would now just ripple forward about 30 minutes. God, we pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we need your spirit to fall fresh on us. God, we want to be a light in this dark world, especially in these next months, when it feels like the country's going to be pulled in so many different directions. God, we need your wisdom more than that. We need your love. Love for each other and a commitment to standing together with you on your platform. So God, teach us, lead us. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray these things in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face -face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.